0: Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, here's your host, Jason Day. Welcome, friends, to another amazing episode of the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Day, and today's episode is powerful as I am joined by Grammy award-winning artist Lecrae. Lecrae is more than a hip-hop artist. He's an entrepreneur, activist, and New York Times best-selling author, but above all, He's a devoted follower of Jesus. Lecrae is internationally respected for his socially responsible advocacy work from mental health awareness and suicide prevention to racial justice and police brutality awareness. Lecrae's newest book entitled, I Am Restored, How I Lost My Religion But Found My Faith, releases October 13th from Zondervan. Now in this episode, Lecrae and I discuss the challenges that come as you grow in your faith and recognize your called to confront the status quo. Lecrae shares how he personally navigated the hostilities and criticism he received from those who once applauded him as he began speaking out against injustices. Lecrae also addresses his experiences with racism, the Sunday morning segregation of the church, and how the church can embrace the call to unity in ways that lead to true transformation and reconciliation. This is such a powerful, timely, and valuable conversation. You'll definitely want to share this with your entire team. So please now, won't you join me in my conversation with Lecrae? Lecrae, welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. Looking forward to our conversation and excited to have you with us.
1: Glad to be here. It's an honor.
0: Now, Lecrae, um, where, where do we start, right? Your, your latest book, I Am Restored, is scheduled to release in October And having had the opportunity to get a pre-release copy, I have to say this is a powerful, deep, challenging, honest book. And Mm. and really, you address some of the biggest tensions that the church is currently facing, but not just the church, our nation, even our world is facing. Mm. And so um, in our time together in this conversation, I want to just kind of jump right in and let you share. But before we do that, just real quickly, um, how how are you and your family doing uh, during this pandemic? Everyone staying safe?
1: We are. We absolutely are. Um, it's been a incredible journey, uh, but it's you know it's our new normal, and so uh, we, we're doing well. Excellent, excellent, brother.
0: Yeah. Um, okay, so let's let's dive in. You share in your book among many things, and again, I said it's a very vulnerable, courageous, I think, um, book. But, but you share about the difference um, between how white pastors and black pastors accepted you um, as you were growing as an artist
1: mm-hmm. and and
0: you would talk about the fact that you know oftentimes white pastors would would memorize your lyrics they'd they'd use it in sermon illustrations um, and, and they really kind of embraced you, uh, or so you thought initially. But you were concerned because it seemed like in the black church, that you weren't being embraced uh, quite as, as much um, mm-hmm. that sometimes it was like a youth pastor might be a little edgy, might, might, you know, be, begin to um, kind of share some of your music and those types of things. But there mm-hmm. was definitely a difference between the two. And, mm-hmm. and, and you go on to talk about um, your experience uh, being engaged in kind of uh, white evangelicalism, you know, in conferences and on platforms and stages and, and that you began to be accepted by some of these white pastors that you looked up to, you know, you read their books and, and those types of things. And, and you said this, you said, I let my guard all the way down with this group of people. I was the slave who'd been accepted into the master's house. I became the person who would interpret blackness for them so they could reach my community. They weren't looking to glean from the perspective of black thinkers, the black community, or even the black church. They just wanted me to be an echo chamber for their point of view. Talk to me a little bit, Lucra, about what was that like as you began to understand um, you know
1: those words that, that you wrote? Yeah, I mean, obviously, um, well, well, I'll preface it with saying that, you know a lot of this is not necessarily you know an intentional effort on their behalf. In mm-hmm. the same way it wasn't an intentional effort on my behalf. It wasn't as if I was there saying, I'm just here to be the token black voice, uh, for what I'm learning in this community. It, it's, it's kind of baked into your, um, growth process. And and so you don't know any better. It's almost as if, you know, it's, it's when you meet someone, um, their values and their worldview is predicated on how they've been taught and what they've learned. So, um, So I'll say that, you know, I think there were some well-meaning and well-intentioned white pastors and leaders who did not realize that they were participating in uh, what felt like a a colonizing of of sorts. I think they thought, man, what I believe is right and everyone should believe what I believe. And that's what I thought. I thought, well, what, what you're teaching me is right and everyone should believe this. And so let me go and take this to other communities. But it it's not, uh, what I, what I was finding was it wasn't as easily as transferable. And when that, when it didn't transfer easily, it may, it, it created a disdain and a distaste in my mouth for my own community because they weren't grasping these things that I thought were so important and so true. And we're not talking about essential truths like the gospel. We're talking about, uh, certain values and certain systems and certain ways of seeing the scriptures. Um, it's, it's it's, it's easy to say, well, just raise support, you know, and that's something that is very consistent with my white brothers and sisters in their circles, but you cannot carry that over into the black community. There's not the, uh, historical financial stability to be able to raise support within your community. So those things didn't carry over. And, um, and, and it, and it frustrated me at first with my own people, uh, because they weren't participating, but then I, I had to start asking why. when I began to ask why, um, then I felt like uh, a mascot for something that I, I did not realize was detrimental to my own community.
0: Yeah, well, what was it, Lecrae, that began to Shift your thinking, as you said. I, th- I think very, very well said, because I, I think all of us can attest to this that our our faith develops over time. I mean, that's part of being on the journey with Jesus. So that's 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 an important part of what it means to be a Christ follower. Um, but but where in that journey were your eyes? You know, were there, were there specific events or people or experiences that began to kind of open your eyes to to what you were experiencing? Mm.
1: Yeah, I think um, you know initially you feel a sense of inferiority to a lot of um, white leaders and pastors. And that's just something that a lot of minorities feel because they, there, are, there aren't very many books by theologians of color that you can reference, especially when you're in certain sects of evangelicalism. And so all the, the major voices and influencers are white men. And so, um, so there was a sense of inferiority. And I remember being at a conference And um, and I had a conversation with uh, both Francis Chan and John Piper, and both of them were asking me for advice or telling telling me how grateful they were for my influence. And that scared me. That was probably the first pathway into thinking through, wait a minute, what do you mean? And um, I think that opened my eyes to, to a reality that, oh, shoot, I'm supposed to you know, be a leader and not just simply gathering and repeating information. And, uh, and, I, and, I, and then I, I began to, to process that. And, um, and then I would say, you know, some uh, different people within the black community uh, had, had said a, a few things via different publications that, that mentioned I was a mascot. And I had felt that way. It was something that you feel internally. Mm. Um, things that you notice that you talk about with your black friends, but it's just kind of like, you just accept it as well. This is just the way that it is. And Mm -hmm. you move forward. Um, but when it, when it was spoken overtly, then I said, okay, if, if people notice this and see this, then it's clearly a problem and I need to, to process, um, you know, what I'm doing out here and ask more questions.
0: And so how did you begin that, that process? I mean, what did that really look like for your life?
1: Um, Well, I think first that a good friend of mine, uh, Shobaraka, asked me, what theologians of color do you read? And I was very challenged, you know, because I I couldn't mention anyone besides like Martin Luther King. Hmm. And uh, and he said, uh, I just want to challenge you to find some theologians of color and, and read their books. And that was probably step one was just feeling as if, well, there aren't any. You know what I mean? Like, what do you mean? There aren't any books, and I would go to bookstores, and I wouldn't see it. I was like, yeah, Tony Evans and and Eric Mason, and then you know, T.D. Jakes, and then it was kind of like that's it, right? And so I began a journey of collecting a group of different voices um, of color, you know, uh, uh, Soon Chan Ra and different people, and um, and reading their books and their materials, and and my perspective started evolving and growing because I was seeing things that I related to and resonated with, but I didn't have language for it. And these people were putting language to the things that I was thinking.
0: Wow. And so as you read that, then that um, kind of helped you as you were just growing in your faith, were there, were there things specifically that kind of were aha type moments for you? Um, Because you talk of um, coming to this point where you recognize um, sort of this trauma of mm. systemic racism. Yeah. Um so so how did that come about for you, Lecrae?
1: Yeah. Um <clears throat> I mean if 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 the first round of it I didn't have language. I just had pain, mm. right? I I didn't have a theology for what I was experiencing because I didn't have categories for it. It's kind of like if someone is if, if you just notice that every time you go somewhere, you have to prove yourself, you assume, well, that's what everybody has to do. Right. And then you notice, well, no, some of my white brothers and sisters are not having to prove themselves the way that I have to prove myself. And you're frustrated at that. Um, but you don't have a language for that. And you you believe that, well, these people know Jesus so clearly. I mean I don't know I guess this is the right way and you go on trips and tours and speaking engagements and people say things to you like you know we've we uh we we generally play ping pong but we got some basketball for you and your posse and you're mm. like what wait a minute hmm. I don't wh- how do how should do I say something about this or what what do I do here um and you know it's just those constant microaggressions that you don't have a language for and um and so first it's just trauma, it's just tra- traumatizing. And it bubbles over to, I-, I wanna say something. And then you say something about it and you're shamed for saying something. And and you center yourself around the people who are shaming you instead of the people who need to be uplifted. And you find yourself apologizing for telling the truth. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to rattle the boat. And you know, when you mentioned like, hey, uh, why aren't there more black people or or Hispanic people in this church? And they say, stop being a race baiter. And you're like, oh yes, you're right, I'm sorry. And you backtrack. Mm. Um, And and eventually that begins to wear on you and you're traumatized and then you're frustrated. And, um, and, And for me, I began to believe that if God's people were pushing back on me so hard, then it must be that either, because I don't know another theological pathway. So either A, they're right and I'm crazy, or B, there's no God, and all of this is a hoax. The, the option C that they were wrong was never in my mind, so mm. that was a that was a challenge, and I, I really had to take some time and seek the scriptures and develop a, a biblical framework for what I was experiencing.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, Look, Le, Lecrae, as you were processing through that, you know, you, you saw, you were seeing because you were traveling quite extensively, mm-hmm. um, you were performing all over, and um, and, and so you were, you were watching uh, the church, just as the church is always developing, you're watching the church develop, you know, during, during your career. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you were also seeing, as all of us were, a lot of the, the racial tensions in the streets, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and those have, have you, know, you know, really, you know, become even more real, it seems, mm-hmm. um, in the last few months here. Uh, in yeah. 2020 along with everything else we're facing the, the racial tension and and um, as those things were coming to light so you're you're wrestling right and and you're you're processing and you're growing and God's stretching you in your faith in in these ways as a, a black artist and how you are um, you know navigating um, what you 've been experiencing through you know uh the white evangelical church the black gospel church, and kind of all, all of that and at the mm-hmm. same time this stuff 's happening in the streets and uh, things yeah. kind of kind of come to a um i wouldn 't say to a head but things just are getting progressively you know more more stark and mm-hmm. and challenging mm-hmm. um and you describe yourself not only as an artist, but also as an activist, which I think is an apt description for anyone who loves Jesus and is following Jesus. We all need to be, you know, take action on our faith. And yeah. and so how did that activism, you know, even, even most recently, we have the Black Lives Matter with uh, the George Floyd murder, all of these things taking place. How, how did you find your place? Because you are in a unique place, as you've described. How right. did you find your voice in the midst of that? And how are you even still finding your voice as someone who does have influence, um, mm. someone who loves Jesus? Um, and and, and how, how did you kind of navigate that? And what are you doing even now to, to kind of share the voice?
1: Yeah, on one end of the spectrum, <clears throat> I think it's, it's constantly being a disciple. And, and disciples are learners. Mm -hmm. And, and as you learn, you're going to make mistakes. I mean, Peter made tons of mistakes, right. Um, and you're going to make mistakes, but, but you make mistakes in the process of trying to follow Jesus. And, um, and so for me, I, I just knew I needed to follow the convictions as I saw them. Um, And of course, you know, as, as you, you mature and you grow, you realize, okay, maybe I didn't quite see that correctly, but I was trying to follow Jesus in that moment. Um, and so what, for me, what happened is that I had to begin to say, all right, Jesus was rejected. Um, so rejection is coming. And I had to understand that the church, as I saw it, um, you know, was not above persecuting, you know, me. And I, I just I didn't have a category for that either. And I was like, okay, humans are flawed, even believers, and they make decisions and, and do things that are terrible. And that's the reality that we live in. So embrace that as well and continue pressing forward. And um and then I, I looked in the scriptures and and I I remember you know looking at Ephesians and and just kind of looking at the church in Acts and seeing how you know to be a follower of God in that time period was almost uh synonymous with being Jewish. So to be Jewish meant you were God's chosen people and you were the people who followed God. So anyone who wasn't Jewish was kind of seen as people who didn't, you know, you're a gentile, you're not a God follower. Right. And um And so Peter and James, they wrestled with that. That was difficult for them to embrace the reality that God would give sonship and inheritance to people who were not Jewish. And, you know, you read the book of James, it's, you know, he's writing to Judeans. It's pretty much Jewish. He doesn't really have a context for people outside of of Judaism and and Jewish believers. And so even Peter is kind of like, I don't know if we should eat with them and should they be circumcised? I just, this doesn't really... And then Paul has to come through and say, listen, the dividing wall is torn down. Mm -hmm. Everybody has access to God. Everyone has access to sonship. And he challenges them. And and that gave me the okay in many ways to say, I've got to challenge my brothers and sisters to recognize that we are all co-heirs with Christ and that the, the, the inheritance is available to us all, equality and liberty is for all of us, and we should treat each other accordingly. And that emboldened me and passioned me to continue yeah. on my pursuit of, uh, of, of of activism.
0: Yeah, that's well said, Lecrae. And, and I was just curious, as you were saying that, I was thinking back to, you know, in your words, you, you said that in some ways you were kind of a mascot mascot or a token, mm-hmm. um, you know, to, to the, the white church, right? Mm-hmm. And so so i've I've got to ask how was it that, as you're recognizing uh what you just shared, you know the things that paul you know helped helped the church process through at that point and mm-hmm. and you see this opportunity now for you to help the church process through some of it in in some way right mm-hmm. how how did you make that transition, and how was that transition kind of accepted by white pastors mm-hmm. and um you know as you were moving from being a part of, of what was happening in, in maybe more of a, a token, although you had great, great impact, obviously, mm-hmm. but then to being someone who's actually challenging the status quo because that's, that's a different thing. You, know, you, you come in yeah. and you're kind of a bridge builder in, in many ways, is, and, and now suddenly you know, you're you challenging a lot of these things because you're growing you know, and your eyes are being opened. So how, how was that accepted, and, and what did you kind of wrestle through in the midst of that?
1: Uh, it was not accepted. Mm, yeah, <laughs> it was it was met with um, hostility on on some fronts, mm. uh, complete silence and lack of support on other fronts. Um, you know, people ran with narratives. You know, there were just terms. I, I remember uh, my good friend uh, Akimani in an interview. She said, "So is it safe to say you're div- divorcing white evangelicalism?" Mm. And you know, that's not what I said. But for a lot of white brothers and sisters who had no idea what white evangelicalism was, or had never heard this concept in their mind, they, they were thinking, Oh, well, he doesn't like white people anymore. Mm. And, and so, you know, for them, it was, well, Lecrae is, is gone. You know, he's no longer an advocate of the gospel of peace and reconciliation and harmony and unity. And, um, and so that created a deafening silence and, uh, you know, regular text messages that I would get from certain leaders disappeared and, uh, opportunities to appear places, uh, were no longer extended. And so it was a tough time because when you're in that place of, listen, I mean, at that point in time, uh, white evangelical spaces were the places that I had spent so much time. So that's where, what felt like home. Right. And, when you feel as if people in your family have turned their back on you, you're, it's extremely painful, and you've got to realize that your identity is not wrapped up in their acceptance of you. Um, and so that was difficult. Uh, there were some hos- hostile moments as well with lesser-known leaders and people who who said some pretty hurtful things. And you know, I got some some scathing emails and threats, and then mm. there were some people who were just trying to understand but were in in pain because they felt like you're a leader to me why are you so divisive and they just couldn't get it um and so it was it was difficult all around uh, and and then the funny thing about it is is you know this is four years ago you know so mm-hmm. four years ago I was like an anomaly it was like unheard of to talk about the things that everyone's talking about now <laughs> uh, so it was like, Way different. Like now, it's like common language, and this is, you know, for us, you and I to have this conversation in 2020 would have been like so uncomfortable in 2016. Right. Um, and and so, uh, you know, it it was tough during that time period. So, so Lecrae, I, I think this can be helpful to so
0: many of us who are in in ministry or you know who are um, in the public eye to some degree, and that is, how did you? how did you kind of navigate that on a personal level, right? Mm-hmm. Because you have your, you have your, you know, we all have kind of a, a public persona. I mean, yeah. but then, but then you have, I mean, you and your wife and your kids in your home, you know what I mean? Like right. how did you, whenever um, you felt, you know, people kind of, some people turning against you and you felt like you were just being, you know, obedient to, to how God was at work in your life and you mm-hmm. were using your voice how did you personally and your family, what were some things that helped you kind of process and work through that and, and stay healthy in the midst of all that?
1: Yeah. I mean, well, one is that you have to have friends in a, in a community who see you for who you are mm. and, and who don't see you as the public figure, the leader. Um, they see you as in all of your humanity and all of your frailty yeah. and And there's complete integration. And integration is where there's no aspect of who you are, what you do, that is not accessible to these group of people. Um, And and that's where I I feel like most leaders fail. You know, most leaders struggle with getting the help that they need Mm -hmm. uh, because they don't have a circle of people that they can trust. They don't have they, they, they struggle with uh, letting down their armor and looking as if they have it all together and they have all the answers and admitting um, that I need help and I don't have this figured out and I'm struggling in this particular area. And so um, I had to break that shell. You know what I mean? Right. I had to. it was almost as if God forced me there through um, just a lot of pain and anguish to just come forward to my brothers and say, listen, I am in a dark place. Um, and also with my wife, you know, some, some of our, our spouses are not meant to carry that load, um, that we have, you know, we're, we're asking for so much of them, you know, Mm -hmm. they're already there in so many ways for us. And, um, I had to learn to take the pressure off my wife of, of being the Aaron, and who holds up my, my hands, um, mm. you know, as Moses, you know, I had to take that pressure right. off of her to just be someone who prays for me to just be someone who helps me, uh, deal with the day-to-day functionality of life and, um, to just be silent, but present Yeah. and, um, and count on my, my, my good friends, uh, to hold me up in that time period. And I, I needed that. And that really got me through some dark places, dark times.
0: Yeah. That's good. That's good. That's good wisdom there. Lecrae, as as um, an activist, as you said, you know, you were you were you were speaking out and you were sharing things uh, years ago, um, and and now we find ourselves here in 2020, and um, a lot of the the racial division and the tension and, and and the violence, and of course there are there are some great protest movements that are peaceful and and are you know trying to honor everybody and be respectful. Then there are others that are. That aren't, you know, they're just kind of chaotic and violent. And, and, and so we see all these things kind of happening in our country right now. And, and, and you, you wrote about how you were kind of processing through um, some, of, some of these uh, issues, these racial issues. And one of the things you said is that slowly you realize that the most important question that you could ask yourself was not, does white evangelicalism care about black bodies? But the more vital question for my soul was, does God care about black bodies? Mm-hmm. Does God see this evil and does he recognize the sound of our cries? Mm-hmm. Talk to us a bit about that shift where you move from, um, looking at, you know, maybe a, another uh, race or ethnicity or another group of people, but then kind of shift your, your focus back to, to God, right? Because I think that's important. Like when I read that, that, that struck me that, you know, I think so often we, our focus is on, um, Someone else, you know, Mm -hmm. or what that group is doing, or what they're thinking, or what, rather than our focus being brought back to to God. So, can you talk to us a little bit about that that focus and how how the activism that you do is grounded in you know what you're learning about God and how you're growing in Christ?
1: Yeah, there's a you know a story of um, you know U.S. military and they're in the Middle East, they're fighting a battle and it's intense. And, um, their, their trucks are in, and uh, motor vehicles were being blown up
0: mm.
1: and, uh, it was causing a lot of death and destruction. And so they began to take scrap metal and wield it to the bottom of the, these, these trucks, um, in order to keep them from, from blowing up. And, uh, you know, when, when, home base got wind of this they said hey you know all of the military personnel down there who's welding these scrap metal to the trucks that that's not a military issue you can't just do that and there was a tension because they were saying well we're the ones out here dying Mm -hmm. you know we need to be able to to wield this together and then back home they're saying well we can't you know, offer you the, the protection, like we, th- this is not prescribed, and we don't know what you're doing. And so anything can happen. And the reality was that, you know, those trucks were not made for that wielding that what they needed was a different type of vehicle. Um, and, and I, I tell that story to say this, that oftentimes we as individuals experience the shrapnel and the pain of, of, of a broken world. And we begin to wield the approval of other people onto ourselves to protect ourselves. Hmm. Right. We begin to like, you know, well, you guys don't understand how bad this feels to be rejected or, or whatever. And we begin to put these, these walls up and these barriers and accolades and approvals and all these different things. And, and God is saying that's not why how I designed you. Like I did not design you that way and I and, and if you're going to use that as your standard, I can't protect you. I understand that it's hard out here and you're trying to find protection, but that's not how I designed you. If you if you call home, <laughs> I'll send you the type of protection that you need. And too often I was looking for the approval of other people. Well, why aren't you doing this? And, and why aren't they doing that? And and how come this isn't happening? Instead of saying, God, where do you stand on this? Hmm. And, and what's your perspective? And let that be my standard, uh, regardless of what's going on around me. And so just being reminded that God's vantage point and God's desire has to be what I center myself in, not centering myself on making sure that you get it, or making sure that these people understand me because that that's that's a work of the spirit i I can't make someone's eyes open i can only follow the lord and hope that their eyes open in that process yeah that's good
0: that's good look craig for decades people shared the time of greatest segregation every week is Mm. sunday morning during worship right Mm. what is your hope for unity of the church and, and what does that really look like
1: yeah, well, you know, I don't know if you know we're 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 a nation of multiple cultures. You know what I mean? We're not, mm-hmm. you know, one group think here, and so culture is language, it's music, it's expression, it's articulation, and and those things are okay. Um, I, I'm not. I, it's not as if we have to. Uh, culturally unite once a week to worship the Lord. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not pushing for that to be mandated. Um, I think that's an outworking of us working together in general. That's an outworking of us being in relationship on a regular basis that we would find a way to want to corporately worship together um, and, and connect. But I think it's more important that we connect as a body relationally on a regular basis, Hmm. um, that we find ways to partner together to serve, you know, what, what are some ways to serve our cities? Um, because the church church is not about meeting on Sunday. Church is about, uh, a a a group of people, an organism that follows Jesus and, and, and our, walking in his footsteps. And so how are we walking in his footsteps together? Our songs are gonna be different because we're culturally, we have different tastes. Um, our, our preaching styles are gonna be different because we, you know, acquiesce and we, we move to the beat of different drums. And so perhaps that that is not going to be the case. Now, if you're, you know, I mean, if we're honest, Sunday, oftentimes for many people is about preference. You know, mm-hmm. it's not about, um, you know, uh, how we can come together to to, to mobilize for Jesus, it's about preference. And, you know, I'm not saying that that's that's okay. I'm just saying that's the reality that we live in. And so people are gonna choose what they want want on Sunday based off of preference. If you want a diverse church, you're going to have to speak the language of those particular cultures. Your, Your music is gonna have to reflect the diversity of the people that you want there. Your preaching style is gonna have to reflect the diversity of the people that you want there. It's not about doing what you uh, always do and what you appreciate culturally and expecting people from different cultures to come in. Um, That's just not gonna happen uh, nine times out of 10. But, you know, when's the last time, uh, you know, a majority white church reached out to the Korean church in the city and said, hey, how can we partner together how can we begin to develop some relationships to serve the Lord? What what if we combine our community groups throughout the week? You know, what does that particularly look like? And I think mm. that there are some steps we can begin to take to see some real diversity, um, not just in a building, but in, in the world, in society.
0: Yeah, that's, that's good. I, I like that because it removes the emphasis from somehow— on, on a Sunday morning or weekend worship that, you know, that one culture has to absorb another culture, right? It, it says, hey, we are the church seven days a week. Absolutely. So let, what's our unity look like on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, right? You know, what, what are we doing in our communities where we're locking arms and, you know, we're honoring Christ and we're yeah. making an impact. So, Absolutely. yeah, well said. Love that, Lecrae. What final words would you like to share with your brothers and sisters who are serving, who are leading um, in the church today, um, what would you like to share with them?
1: I, I think, um, <clears throat> you know, <laughs> the biggest mark of a disciple is a learner. You know, in the Hebrew, it's a, it's a Talmudim, and a, and, a, and a Talmudim is a learner. Um, and I, learning is not, you know, we're, we're so Western in our thinking and our processing that we believe learning is knowing, that once we have attained the information, that now we have, we're there. And for Jesus, learning was, was going. You know, learning was walking in the footsteps, getting the dust of Jesus on your feet um, as well. And so we've got to be professional learners. We've got to walk in each other's shoes. We've got to be empathetic with one another and take the time to learn. Um, for a lot of leaders out there, they become so skilled in their particular area that they, they they think it's transferable. They think, well, because I'm so good at leading my congregation, I clearly can be an expert on, on anything, in any subject matter. Just give me a couple weeks and some books <laughs> and I'll be an expert. And that's not what wisdom and learning looks like. Wisdom and learning looks like taking the time to listen to people, to learn from people, of course, read the books, of course, do all those things, but then walking with them, getting some of their dust on your feet so you have some real experience. And uh, that's what I I would expect of any disciple. We're all in the discipleship process. Um, there, there, There are some people who can disciple us. Every time I go on a trip to another country, I want to be discipled by the people there and understand. And so uh, so let's just be learners. Let's be professional learners. Um, leaders are learners. And you, you're an authority because you submit to authority. And as we continue to sub- submit to the authority of Jesus and, and others who are following Jesus, we will become authorities as well.
0: That's excellent. That's excellent, Lecrae. Thank you so much, not only for being with us today, but thank you um, for your voice. Thank you for, um, most of all, your obedience to Christ. And, uh, and I just really want to encourage everyone um, in October, mid-October, Zondervan is releasing Lecrae's book, I Am Restored, How I Lost My Religion But Found My Faith. And um, just an honest, open, challenging read. Really encourage people to check it out. So thank you for being with us, Lecrae. Thank you so much. It's an honor. Thank you. All right. God bless you, brother. God bless. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. Every week as we are putting the episodes together, we're thinking of you, our pastors and ministry leaders, and striving to provide insightful and inspiring interviews as you seek to grow as a kingdom leader. We hope you are finding value from the Church Leaders Podcast, and if so, we would appreciate you taking a few moments to head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your positive reviews and ratings help other church leaders more easily find our podcast so they can benefit as well. Thank you in advance. And if you have any comments, suggestions, or ideas for guests, I would love to hear from you. You can send an email to podcasts at churchleaders.com or connect with me on Twitter. You can find this podcast as well as other great faith-based podcasts on the Faith Play app available for both Apple and Android. So be sure to check out Faith Play. Until next time, this is Jason Day encouraging you to love well,